Acts 9, verse 10. Acts chapter 9, verse 10. So last week we talked about the plan of man. God's ways are not our own, but he gets us there, doesn't he? We can find God leading us in ways down paths that are not our own, and sometimes they're not the path or the way that we would choose, right? It wouldn't be the path or the way that we would go down at all. We can resist, we can protest, but God has a way of getting us where we would not choose to go on our own. This is what he did. Remember last week we talked about Saul. Saul is leaving Jerusalem to go and persecute Christians. He wants to destroy the church. He was on his way, on his path, but God got Saul on his path in a way that Saul was not looking for. He got Saul there one way, and he got Ananias on a path another way. Neither one of them would have chosen to do what they were both instructed to do, but God got both of them where they needed to be. They both went where they would not have chosen on their own, and they both went by the will of God. One went reluctantly. Actually, they both went reluctantly, I believe. But one went obediently and one was led blindly because he really didn't have much choice. So let's read this, these verses, Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 22. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, before kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul... The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. And when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem? 
and has come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving this Jesus is the Christ. The word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this gospel that has delivered us and set us free from sin and death and has taken us out of darkness and translated us into your marvelous light. Father, we ask that you would work today by your spirit that dwells within us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And that by that spirit, you would illuminate your word. You would mold and shape. You would renew our minds to the truth and conform us to Christ. That we would be a people that would shine bright in this dark world. To bring hope and to bring the message of the gospel to all who need. Who need to hear it and who need its power to deliver them and to save them. We ask this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So here in these verses, we see Paul now brought to Damascus. Remember, he's going to Damascus to kill Christians, to arrest Christians. And at noontime, as he nears Damascus, a bright light shines out of heaven. And Paul later, in giving testimony to this event says it was at noontime and the light was brighter than the noonday sun. And that bright light, who is Christ, blinded the apostle Paul. And Paul is on the ground blind, saying, who are you, Lord? And Jesus responds, I am Jesus whom you persecute. So Paul is led Blind to Damascus, to the house of Judas. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us anything about Judas here, but it does name him, and it does tell us the name of the house, of the person who owned the house that Paul went to. Now, as we read this story, you see that Ananias is a little hesitant about going to Paul because he knows who Paul is. He's heard about Paul. He knows why Paul has come to Damascus. Imagine when Paul shows up at the door of Judas. What Judas must have initially thought, is this a trick? Is this a ploy? Am I getting ready to be arrested and sent to prison and, and ultimately put to death because of my faith in Jesus? That was Paul's plan. That might have been what the believers in Jerusalem thought was going to happen, but in reality... God had another plan. Paul was on one path, going one way, but God had his own way for Paul. And though Paul wasn't planning on going God's way, God got him there in ways that Paul would not have chosen for himself. This is how God works in our life. God gets us into his way, on his path, in his will, very often in ways that we would not choose for ourselves. But however God gets us there, in sweet ways or in bitter ways, the best place to be and the best way to go is the will of God. And we will know that ultimately one day throughout eternity as we spend eternity in eternal life with Jesus Christ. 
And in that time, in that day, in that eternal day, we won't mind however God got us there. We will be thankful for any means that God used to get us in his way, on his path to eternal life. So we see here in verses 10 through 12 that a certain disciple named Ananias, God comes to him in a vision and he tells Ananias, Paul is in town, he's at the house of Judas, I want you to go and I want you to pray for him. I've already appeared to Paul in a vision and you're going to go and you're going to lay hands on him and pray for him, and he's going to receive his sight, and he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And any apprehension, any apprehension that Ananias may have had about the instructions given him in the vision were put to rest once he arrived at the house of Judas. There he found blind Saul waiting for him to receive that prayer that God had instructed Ananias to pray. And the resulting miracle was Saul received his sight. And he also, it became obvious, had been converted from an enemy of Christ to a believer in Jesus. He was a hater of Jesus, the heretic. And he became the preacher of Jesus, the Christ. And so when Ananias got there, and maybe Ananias was wondering what's going to happen. He had the vision from the Lord. He went in obedience. He went in faith. But we know by the dialogue that Ananias has with Jesus that he has some questions. Are you sure, Lord? This guy's an enemy. I've heard who he is, and I've heard what he's done, and I know why he is here. And God says, you go. He's my chosen vessel. And when Ananias got there, it happened just the way the Lord told him. You never have to wonder if what God tells you to do is the will of God or not, because when God instructs us to do something, and it works out the way God tells us it will work out, in his word. Because when we violate his word, when we disobey God, very often it does not work out well for us. And so we never have to try to justify or force God's word into being true. It is the truth. And his instructions to us are recorded for us in the scripture. Any dream or vision or sign we think we may have received from the Lord today will be in perfect harmony with God's word. If it's not, then it's not from the Lord. If it's from the Lord, all will be confirmed in a manner that will leave no doubt, just like it was with Ananias. When Ananias prayed for Paul and Paul received a sight and Paul rose up and was baptized, Ananias knew this was the work of the Lord. Verses 13 through 15 Ananias is, we can't say he's questioning God, but he's trying to get clarification from God. And you know, that's okay for us to do. Because Ananias had heard of Paul, and he knew Paul's reputation. And so, I think it was very natural when Paul hears the instruction 
to go to Saul, when Ananias hears the instruction to go to Saul, there had to be questions that Ananias had about this. How is this going to turn out? Now, Ananias already knew that there were Christians arrested and executed because of their faith in Jesus. And Ananias had to wonder, am I going to become one of those Christians who will be arrested and executed for my faith in Jesus? Lord, are you sure this is what I'm supposed to do? God says, yes, he is my chosen vessel. You go. And that's exactly what Ananias did. But Ananias had to, be, had to go with a sense of danger. There was an element of danger involved here. We serve a dangerous God who requires us to do dangerous things. The reason Ananias had apprehension is because Saul of Tarsus was a dangerous man to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He had already arrested, he had already approved of the execution of many believers. He was a dangerous man if you were a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we need to understand that God is a dangerous God. He's dangerous to his enemies. This is why the enemy opposes us. This is why the enemy opposes the gospel. If the church, if the enemy didn't believe the church had power, the enemy would not be working so hard to defeat the church. If the church was powerless, if the church was no threat, to the kingdom of darkness, there would be no problem with letting the church flourish. But the reason we see attack after attack, the reason we see the subtle and the not so subtle, the full frontal attacks and the hidden attacks, the attacks from without the church and the attacks within the church. If the church was not dangerous to the kingdom of darkness, there would be no opposition. God is a dangerous God to those who oppose him outside the church or inside the church. We serve a dangerous God who requires us to do dangerous things. God is absolutely and always good, but that does not mean that he is necessarily safe. If you've ever read C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, and if you've read the line, The Witch in the Wardrobe, there is a dialogue in there between Mr. Beaver. So the animals, the, the characters in, the, in Narnia are human and animal. And yes, the animals talk. You know why? Because that's biblical. Animals can talk. We have two instances of talking animals in the Bible. We have a talking snake and a talking, a talking donkey. And just because you don't understand animals today and they don't talk to you today doesn't mean they can't talk. And in the Chronicles of Narnia, Mr. Beaver, he's a beaver, is talking to Susan, who's a human, about Aslan, who's a lion. And Susan's questioning Mr. Beaver about Aslan. She's heard all about Aslan. And she said, Aslan is a lion? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I'd have thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? 
I should feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he is good. He is the king, I tell you. Lewis pins those words because this is teaching us and speaking to us about God. So it is with the Lord. He isn't safe, but he is good. He is the king. There is much greater danger in disobeying God than there is in obeying God. Even if obeying God may cost us our physical life, I tell you it is much more deadly to disobey God than it is to obey God. Ananias had only heard of Saul. But Ananias knew the Lord. So he chose to obey God. And like Ananias, we must choose to trust and obey God rather than to give place to the fear of man. We should fear God rather than fearing man. Hebrews 10.31, the writer of Hebrews pins these words, it is, the, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God has poured out his perfect love into our hearts in Christ and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but in Christ we have no reason to be afraid. 1 John four eighteen and 19, John writes, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. God is absolutely the most dangerous thing that exists. But if we are in Christ, we have no reason to be afraid of him. Though the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Fear can move us, but love sustains us. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the love of God never fails. His perfect love for us is the power that casts out all of our fear. Throughout the scripture, we see God requiring his children to do dangerous things. Danger or not, we serve a God whose love is so much greater than anything we could possibly fear in this world. The dangers we face are not always physical. They are spiritual. They are emotional. They are financial. They can take any shape. They can take any form. Whatever the danger, whatever the fear, we must trust the Lord. God is absolutely good, although he is not always safe. And he will most probably ask us to do things that are dangerous. Jesus promised his disciples, it's written for us in John's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 33. In this world, Jesus tells his disciples, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Verse 16, when, Paul, when, uh, when uh, God is telling Ananias, go to him, he is my chosen vessel. God tells Ananias this about the apostle Paul. God says, for I will show him, speaking of Saul, how many things he must Suffer for my namesake. 
I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. That tells us a lot right there. That tells us that Paul's suffering was not the result of Paul's bad choices. It wasn't the result of Paul's disobedience. It wasn't the result of Paul's lack of faith. Sometimes the world, sometimes the church wants to make us believe that our suffering is because of our lack of faith or perhaps because of our disobedience or our sin. But I want you to know that God ordained the suffering that the Apostle Paul went through, not because Paul was sinful, not because Paul was disobedient, but because Paul was his chosen vessel and because Paul was faithful. And in Paul's faithfulness to God, he suffered greatly. And it is this Apostle Paul, under the weight of that intense suffering, who penned the words for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where he writes, These light afflictions are but for a moment, and they are working for us a far greater weight of glory. Paul wasn't minimizing anyone else's suffering. He was talking about his own suffering. And he speaks to all of our sufferings and he says, whatever sufferings we may experience in this world, know that they are light compared to the weight of glory they are working for us in Christ Jesus. That doesn't mean we understand our suffering. That doesn't mean we have the answer. But it does give us the promise and the hope that that suffering works for us. Our obedience does not exclude us from suffering. And our suffering is not contrary to God's goodness. God did show Saul how many things he must suffer. And I believe Saul or Paul refers to these sufferings shown him by God in his letter to the Colossians. Colossians chapter 1 verse 24. Listen to what Paul says writes in his letter to the Colossians. He says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Paul wasn't talking about any affliction of Christ. In other words, Paul wasn't saying that Christ lacked something in his afflictions. Paul wasn't talking about Jesus lacking something that somehow the afflictions of Jesus on the cross didn't quite fill up. Now, Paul was talking about his own afflictions. Now, why would Paul know that, that his afflictions were lacking still? Because God said, when he called Paul, he said, I must show him, I will show him all that he must suffer for my namesake. When God called Paul, when, when God called Paul, when God called Paul, he showed him what he must suffer. When Paul writes this letter to the Galatians, Paul knew there was suffering yet to be done. That suffering would ultimately culminate in his death, his martyrdom. Listen again, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. 
and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Paul wanted to fill up in his flesh what was lacking in the affliction of Christ. That is the afflictions Paul would experience on behalf of Christ for the sake of the church. These were all the things that God showed him that he must suffer. The church that Saul once sought to destroy, he will now lay down his life, his own life, to build up. Saul will suffer for the very church he inflicted so much suffering upon. Saul rejoiced in that suffering and wanted it to be filled up for the sake of Christ and for the sake of his body, the church. This wasn't karma. This wasn't, okay, you afflicted the church, you made the church suffer, so I'm going to make you suffer, Paul. No, that's not who God is. That's Eastern mysticism. That's idolatry. That's false religion. There's no such thing as karma. There is reaping and sowing, but that's not what happened with Paul here. Paul didn't see his sufferings as a punishment. Paul saw his sufferings as the exact opposite. He saw it as the glory of God. He saw it as something that he would enter into one day outside of this earthly realm that it was so glorious, so grand, so great that he rejoiced in his sufferings. And this is how we should approach and look at our own sufferings. Not what they're taking from us, but what they're building in us and producing for us a far more eternal weight of glory. And in verse 17, we see Ananias obeys God, and by faith he goes to the house of Judas. He enters that house, and when he encounters Paul, here's what he says, Brother Saul. He calls him brother. He had never met Paul before, but he comes into that house, and he walks in, and he sees Saul of Tarsus, the persecutor of the church, blind and broken by God, and he says, Brother Saul. When God sends us, he may send us into the unknown, but he never sends us alone. God always has someone strategically positioned to do his will. As God sent Saul into Damascus blind. Now think about this. Paul is going to persecute the church. He has this encounter at noontime. He falls on the ground. He's blinded. He can do nothing but be led by the hand, blind. And he's sitting in this house for three days. He's not ate. He's not drank. He's prayed for three days because he's trying to process what's going on here. And he knows now that the very Jesus he persecuted is his Lord and Messiah. And in a vision, God shows Paul that there is a man named Ananias who's going to come and pray for you. And when he prays for you, you will receive your sight. And that's exactly what happens. And here is Ananias in Damascus just living his life, minding his own business. And God shows him in a dream, Paul is here, Saul is here. He's my chosen vessel. I've chosen you, Ananias, 
to go to him, to pray for him, to, rest, to restore his sight so that Paul can get on about the business that I've called him to, to preach my gospel to kings, to the house of Israel, and to the Gentiles. And Ananias goes into that house and he says, Brother Saul. God has strategically positioned Ananias for Paul. And God had strategically sent Saul or Paul for Ananias. God takes our enemies and he turns them into our brothers. God knew Saul's reputation as an enemy of the faith, bent on destroying the church, and upon God's declaration that Saul was his chosen vessel, Ananias greets Saul by calling him brother. Saul was changed into a new person, and Ananias was empowered by the Spirit and the power of God. By the Spirit and the power of God, Paul was changed into a new person. He became a new creation. And by the Spirit and the power of God, Ananias was empowered to go to a former enemy, call him a brother, pray for him, and see the miracle of his sight received. And I believe even the greater miracle of Saul of Tarsus arising at once and being baptized into the covenant and into the name of Jesus Christ. And this is what verse 18 shows us. Immediately, there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once and arose and was baptized. This is a miracle. The sight we receive from God is more than natural sight, just like the sight that Saul of Tarsus received that day through the prayer of Ananias was more than natural sight. More than anything. And the greatest sight that Saul of Tarsus received was the eyes of his understanding being open. It was his eyes of faith being able to see Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. God gives us sight to walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. The sight we receive by faith gives us the ability to see and the willingness to obey Jesus. We cannot obey a Jesus we cannot see. And until we see Jesus by faith, through the power of the Holy Spirit, opening our blind eyes, not our physical eyes, our eyes of faith, our spiritual eyes, we will never have a willingness to obey him. This is the sight that Saul received. When Ananias prayed, Saul immediately, at once, he received his sight in a miracle. And the sight that Saul received was more than natural sight. The blindness that Saul experienced on the road to Damascus brought him face to face with his own spiritual blindness. In other words, he thought he could see, but he was really blind. And God blinded him to show him that he really could not see. 
He thought he saw clearly, I've got to destroy this way, this sect, these followers of this heretic Jesus. He saw clearly what he needed to do. God says, no, actually, you're blind. You think you can see, but you can't. So I'm going to blind you so that you can come face to face with the true blindness that you need to deal with. That's our spiritual blindness. Saul received his sight at once. Naturally, he had already received his spiritual sight on that road when he was physically blinded. And he said, Lord, who are you? And Jesus' response was, I am Jesus whom you persecute. And in that moment, though Paul was physically blind, his eyes, his spiritual eyes had been opened. And he could see Jesus, the Christ. Once Saul received his sight, the scripture says he arose and was baptized into Christ. Baptism is a point of obedience. It may seem optional, but it's not. We are commanded to be baptized. In our baptism, we are welcomed into the new covenant and we identify with Jesus Christ in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection life. If you have not been baptized, you need to be baptized. If you've never trusted in Jesus, you need to trust in Jesus and you need to be baptized. And we will schedule a baptism here before too long. And you need to think about that if you've never obeyed Christ's command to be baptized into his name. Verse 19 and 20, it says that Paul, after he was received his sight, he was baptized. Verse, 20, verse 19 and 20 says that he received food. He stayed there with the disciples for several days. Verse 20 says, immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. As soon as Paul regained his physical strength and got his bearings, it says, immediately he preached the Christ. Our ability to see Jesus determines our willingness to obey Jesus. We have no excuse for not obeying Jesus. We have no excuse for not immediately preaching the Christ. Saul had received his instructions from the Lord. He knew what he was to do. He immediately obeyed. He immediately preached Jesus as the Messiah. The gospel is not complicated. It's rather simple, yet it is vital. It is the good news that demands to be preached immediately. You never have to wonder whether you should share the gospel. You never have to wonder whether you should preach the gospel. Pastors aren't the only people called to preach the gospel. Every follower of Jesus, every believer in Jesus is called to full-time ministry. You are called to preach, to proclaim, to live, to make known the gospel of Christ wherever you go in whatever you're doing. The gospel is simple, but it's powerful. 
It is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. We must never be ashamed of the gospel because men cannot believe if we do not preach it. Men can't believe a gospel they cannot hear. And they hear the gospel through our witness, through our words, through our life, in every means. Verse 21, Paul is preaching the gospel in all the synagogues. And verse 21 says, Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem? And has he come here for that purpose? So that he might bring them bound to the chief priest. It's like, isn't this the guy that came here to kill Christians? To arrest Christians? To destroy the church? To stamp out this name of Jesus? And now here he is in our synagogues preaching Jesus as the Christ. They all heard and were amazed. It should not be our past. They were amazed because of who Paul was. And now who he is. It should not be our past that most amazes people. It should be the gospel that most amazes people. Because it is the gospel that changes us from who we were in our past. It is the gospel that delivers us from our past. We should never be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And we should never be ashamed of our journey out of darkness Christ brought us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We need not be ashamed of the death God brought us out of. We need to celebrate the life that God brought us into. And part of celebrating the life that God brought us into is remembering the death he brought us out of. We don't glorify the darkness. We glorify Christ. We no longer identify with darkness. Now we identify with Christ. Ephesians 5.8, Paul writes, You once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Then he writes this command, Walk as children of light. Verse 22, But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now think, those Jews thought for sure Paul was coming and he was going to stamp out this sect once and for all because they were sure that Jesus was not the Christ. And here comes Paul preaching the Christ in all of their synagogues and they're amazed because this was the enemy of that way and he has now become a proponent of that way. And not only that, but he increased all the more in strength. And he is confounding the Jews because his preaching that Jesus is the Christ from the Scripture is proving that is exactly who Jesus is. God is faithful to strengthen us to do his will in the face of any and all opposition. Those Jews opposed Paul. In fact, they opposed him to the point that they sought to kill him. And Paul had to be secretly ferried out of Damascus at night 
to keep from being killed by the mob of Jews who would not accept the truth of the gospel that Jesus is the Christ. But God is faithful to strengthen us to do his will in the face of all opposition. Just as God brought Saul to the ground in weakness to show him Jesus the Christ, God raised up Saul in ever-increasing strength so that he would go out to preach and to prove that Jesus is the Christ. So God does with us. He raises us up in Christ. He increases, strengthens, and equips us to go out to preach and to prove that Jesus is the Christ. We are messengers called to faithfully and consistently deliver the message of the gospel. I don't want you to ever think that you have to convince someone to believe. It's not your responsibility to convince someone to believe. It is your responsibility to be a faithful messenger. Yes, you need to study to show yourself approved. Yes, you need to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Yes, you should learn how to rightly divide the word of truth. That comes by reading your Bible daily, by studying your Bible regularly. That comes by meditating in the word, praying the word, hearing the word, speaking the word. But I don't want you to ever think that it's your responsibility to make someone believe in Jesus because you don't have that power. And if you do, then they're not believing by the power of God. They're believing by your own power. And if they believe by your power, that's weak. And someone else is going to come along and convince them that you are wrong and they are right. But if we will just be faithful messengers of the gospel, if we will consistently and faithfully deliver the message of the king to any and all around us and trust that that message inherently is powerful to save. It's not your ability or my ability to convince anyone. It's not how logical or how swaying your argument is. The question is, are you proclaiming the message of the king? Are you giving them the gospel? Because it is the gospel and the gospel alone that is the power of God to salvation. Be a faithful messenger. Be a consistent messenger. And trust in the power of the gospel to save those whom you deliver the message to. Amen. Let's get ready to come to the table. Well, let's all stand. We live in a dangerous world. We serve a dangerous God. You are, whether you realize it or not, armed and dangerous. You are dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. You are dangerous to the ways of this world that want to put out the light and stamp out the way of Christ. But Christ has made a promise. He promises that he will build his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And that tells us that the church is victorious. Not that we will be, but we are victorious. And in this dangerous world, 
we are to be even more dangerous. Dangerous to the darkness. Dangerous to the spiritual foes that come against us constantly. If you don't know it, you should know that you are in a battle. You are in a warfare. And there is never a break from it. It is constant. Our break will come one day when the last enemy death is finally put underfoot. But until that day comes, the warfare never ceases. The battle never stops raging. Whether you feel it or whether you don't feel it, whether you feel like the world is everything you want it to be or whether you feel the weight of the warfare and the battle, it is real, it is constant. But the good news is this, Jesus has overcome. He has given to us, he has empowered us with his spirit. He has given to us the power to overcome this world. So church, our charge is to go out into this world and to overcome it. Our charge is to go and to make disciples of the nations, Jesus says. But listen, don't worry about going to the nations. Just go to your neighbor. Go to your family. Go to your co-workers. Go to those that God has placed around you because God has ordained people all in and around your life. And those are the ones that God wants you to go to to proclaim his gospel that Jesus is the Christ and that there is salvation in no other name, only in the name of Jesus. You have the power. God has shown us the way. Now let us walk in it. Amen.